welcome back to the PKD Dietitian Podcast. I'm your host, Diana Bruin, and today I'm joined by Nicole Williams. She's a certified mindset and emotional well-being coach. We will be having an honest discussion about and around anxiety, looking at how it shows up in life, some of the things you can feel with anxiety. Plus, Nicole will share three strategies you can do today to support yourself if or when you are feeling anxious. Before we jump in, a little bit more about Nicole. She views life coaching as the language of hope. I just love that. With a person-centered and non-judgmental approach, Nicole helps folks in the PKD and kidney community identify their values and develop the capacity to deal with feelings, thoughts, and behaviors. Join us for this enlightening conversation. Welcome, Nicole. I'm super excited to have you on the PKD Dietitian Podcast. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Yes. Thank you so much for for inviting me. I'm excited to be here. I am a certified mindset and emotional well-being coach. I support individuals who have kidney disease or really any chronic illness. I support them in helping them feel in control over the things that they can control. That would mainly be your mindset and your emotions. Ooh, you use the word control. That's something I hear a lot with my clients that with PKD, there's this feeling of lack of control, lack of how they can control their disease or the options they have. So that's a very powerful word. You told us what you do, but how do you work with mindset and emotional well-being within the kidney world? I certainly meet with clients individually. But I really, I work with a, a, a framework or model. And I focus on kind of five key areas that have risen to the top as I've worked with clients over time, as these specific pain points, if you will, that help them uncover what's really happening and really begin to move forward. So I'll say them really quickly and I can expand on them if we have time. We're looking at their beliefs. We're going to focus on rest, what that means for them. That's surprisingly can be a big challenge. Awareness of thoughts, your values and how that plays into your healing process and what you are doing day to day, and then your emotions. There's an ac- a nice acronym. It's called BRAVE. And so that's what I, I use and I walk clients through pieces of those different areas as I work with them individually. There's a lot of deep work in all of those different areas. And I like the way that they're aligned, but I'm sure sometimes the road is a little squiggly in working Correct. through stuff. This wasn't always your life calling or career. How did you pivot to working specifically with folks who have kidney disease or kidney issues? My background is in public health. So I have my master's in public health and I've spent gosh, close to 20 years working in that space. So I've done a lot of health education, a lot of support around advocacy, policy, going through my own personal life transitions. I found a lot of value working with a life coach. And I knew that was a space that I wanted to seek out and figure out how I could support other individuals just going through transitions, right? We sort of start out 
with a very open-ended answer, if you will, to to what we want to do. So I, I really wanted to support individuals going through a transition. I sought out my life coaching certification and I stumbled, really stumbled upon supporting clients with kidney disease. What I very quickly learned and realized is in my own um, public health space and just in like the medical community, kidney disease is not spoken about enough. I learned a lot about asthma. I learned a lot about diabetes. I learned a lot about, um, you know, obesity. Uh, Kidney disease just didn't rise to the top. And as I really started working with individuals one-on-one and understanding what was happening for them, that advocacy side of me really began to peak. And my thought was, gosh, These clients need to be validated. They need to understand. They need an advocate. They need someone in their corner. They need someone to help them through this difficult moment. It's not just one experience. It's a a longer extended period of time because they have a chronic condition. So it, it really, it tugged on my heartstrings, if you will, a little bit. And I really have grown to just respect and um, really just feel led to continue to support clients with kidney disease. We're thankful to have you in the arena. Kidney disease is often referred to as the silent disease because a lot of folks don't know about it until symptoms show up. But that's not true with the PKD community. You know, it's a little different. And we have PKDers, as I like to call the community, they've seen their loved ones go through battling the disease. They've seen them go through transplant or have complications or end up on dialysis. So it's a little different. And you talk about working with folks over time. I feel like it is still part of that quote unquote silent disease because it's not talked about a lot. It's not addressed. And one of the biggest areas that I feel is not addressed by the whole healthcare community or even asked about is anxiety and depression. Yes. Yes. I mean, is it your Really, really huge. Absolutely. Um, To your point with PKD, that the PKDers, I I like that term, they do, they have a much more extended experience, not an experience, right? So they've witnessed it. And then they're also then experiencing it themselves in their own body. So door for a prolonged experience with anxiety and depression is there more so in the PKD community than it would be with with other communities that might be experiencing kidney disease. The the pieces of anxiety, the, the worry, the concern, the nervousness, the fear, all of that bubbles to the top when I'm speaking to clients with PKD. And many of the stories are challenging to hear. It's challenging to be a witness sometimes to what they have experienced. But I was, as I was preparing for this, I I was thinking just about the idea that anxiety almost being like a secondary diagnosis that just kind of tags along when, when you have PKD, it's, um, I don't want to say it's inevitable that someone will have the anxiety, but again, the environment and sort of these other pieces are make it very right for that to happen. 
I 100% agree with you. There's been times where I've, I've met new folks who are just diagnosed and, and they're telling me how, how they were treated, what they were told and, you know, saying, come back when your kidneys fail or there's nothing you can do. Or they're like, you have PKD. Okay. See you in three months. It's just so dismissive within the healthcare community. I mean, I've left some of those conversations and I want to tell you, I boohooed like a baby. We can do better than that. And I feel like, you know, there's a statistic out there that greater than 60% of folks with PKD have some form of anxiety or depression, but I think it's much higher. And I've heard people describe it as that looming, that, that darkness, that looming. It's, you know, something, we know something bad's going to happen. So it's just a matter of, of when, when it's going to happen. It's very powerful. I've even given, given it a bit of a name. I call it PTPKD, post-traumatic PKD. I'd love to delve a little bit more into anxiety. It's a pretty general term. I think we lump a lot of things in it, but how would you, how would you actually define what anxiety is? Yeah, yeah. The formal definition of anxiety is it's a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. So when I say that, the first thing that I think of and how I kind of generally define anxiety is you are presenting a fear or worry about something that's going to happen in the future. Right. So if this happens, then this other thing will happen. So an anticipation. That's right. Okay. That's right. It's all in that anticipation. The tricky thing with anxiety is sometimes we feel that we are protecting ourselves by entertaining or having these thoughts about what could happen in the future. If that makes sense. Oh, explain that. Are we protecting ourselves with the thoughts or how we respond to them? Okay. Let's use the example of the test results. They know that they're going to the doctor to get their test results. And there is this natural uneasiness because you don't know what you're, what's going to happen. However, that feeling, that uneasiness then is going typically when you experience anxiety, it produces this thought of you're then creating a scenario of what's going to happen. I'm going to get my test results. They're going to be really bad. This PKD diet I'm on isn't going to work. It's going to be horrible. In many ways, we think those thoughts so we can prepare ourselves if that does happen. In some ways, it's it's um, this anticipatory like protection, right? I'm going to imagine the worst case scenario because when it happens, I'm going to already be prepared. Not going to be disappointed. I'm not going to be disappointed. I'm going to um, think through all the possible scenarios. That's kind of like what I refer to as the gray area. You're just kind of circling the gray area, and that's a terrible place to be. There's different types of anxiety, because this is a very common form of anxiety within the PKD community. Heard someone say, I, I hate going to the doctor because it's never good news. And for the record, 
that was just an example about the diet. That's not the true story. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but so what type of anxiety is that then? There are some types. So let me, let me just go really quickly through, through the types and, um, and help explain that. So there is generalized anxiety disorder. That is really an extended period of anxiety over, um, you know, a long period of time. So maintaining that, that anxious um, feeling for months at a time. And in the PKD community, because there is most of the time this familial connection to, to the disease, many individuals have experienced the anxiety and the nervousness and angst of that family member. Mm-hmm. And then also themselves. So for them, when we talk about months at a time, we're talking about years, right? It's not just a, um, a short term for someone who has PKD, if that makes sense. So you have generalized anxiety disorder that comes with like sleep issues, irritability. Um, you have a hard time controlling your worried thoughts. Panic disorder is another type of anxiety, panic, it's unexpected. It's, it's very persistent. It feels for individuals who have like a a panic attack, for example, they feel very out of control. Their heart may beat fast. It just, it happens very suddenly with, with panic. There's social anxiety disorder. And that just means someone's avoiding situations, you know, typically social situations where they feel they might be embarrassed or rejected. Then there's the phobia related disorders that can produce anxiety and intense fear, whether that be rational or irrational, an intense fear aversion to objects or situations. For the PKD community, generalized anxiety disorder would be that that space because of the consistent anxiety over a longer period of time that they're experiencing. Yeah, as you were saying those, they all sound pretty intense, but also I know people who experience them them all and they're all quite normal. Mm. And and when I say normal, a little more, I mean, a little more common than we'd like to admit. Yeah. Which is why I'm really glad we're discussing this right now. Generalized anxiety. It sounds like there's almost a muscle or an underlying brain memory or response memory from what they've already seen. You're almost set up to respond that way. Oh, wow. It's true. But when you, when you think of it like that, it's a learned reaction almost. That's right. Okay. So generalized anxiety of what can come or what they've seen come you mentioned fear. I feel like it's very confusing the difference between fear and anxiety because the physical symptoms are very similar. Well, at least for me, there are. So when I get anxiety, because yes, everyone does. For me, it feels like dread. Like if I'm Mm. dreading something or avoiding something, I'm like, okay, why? Help me understand and help the PKDers listening understand What's the difference between fear and anxiety? And is there even a difference? There is a, there is a small difference and, you know, fear can definitely make you anxious. Like you just said, they are, they're close cousins, as I like to put it. When you become fearful about something or in the face 
piece of something, you experience a biological response to like a danger. There's rational fear, which can keep you healthy, right? This is dramatic, but there's a bear chasing you, right? And you're going to run. Fight or flight. <laughs> Day. We have a yeah, bear. <laughs> it's always the tiger, the bear, or whatever is chasing you. But um, that is an, an imminent threat, danger, fear. It's going to kick in. Anxiety, on the other hand, it is an emotional response that's usually linked to something we think might happen. There's really no immediate threat or danger. It's all about that anticipatory part. We think it's going to happen. How do we change that thought pattern? Yes. How do we step out of that thought pattern? And how do we recognize when that thought pattern is creating those physical symptoms that come with anxiety? That is what you do. Yes. Or what you help people do. (laughs) Okay. Exactly right. Let's get into that. I would love to hear how you help people work through or even recognize their anxiety. I know you probably have some fantastic strategies, tips, tools, and tricks. Where should we start? Yes. First, let me share one of the the starting points that I would engage with with a client if they're presenting with anxiety. Because you said something before, Diana, which I thought was really smart, is you alluded to this this loop that anxiety can create. So we have the anxious thoughts and it produces more more anxiety and it kind of just becomes this loop. It's habitual in in a sense. And so one of the first things that I want to help clients understand is their own habitual loop that they have. And that loop looks like a trigger so what, what's the starting point for, for your anxiety, right? With that trigger, that experience, it's usually something in the environment that's going to cause the trigger. You then are going to automatically respond with a behavior. And then your result is going to be that action that you take. And so everyone, for everyone, it's, it's, it's slightly different, right? Going back to the test results, um, the trigger is I'm going to the doctor to get my test result. The behavior is I may sit in the car and just silently think about what the, what the results could, could mean, you know, think about my family, think about the impact to my life, you know, kind of go down what I sometimes call the rabbit hole. And then the result actually is that you don't feel any better. You're actually more, you're, you, you have more of a heightened response now walking into the doctor. So I first want to help clients understand what their unique habit loop is when they're experiencing anxiety. Because that's when we can intervene. That's when I can then identify strategies to, to help break that up. I'm also thinking about like the responses anxiety brings with it physical responses. You're feeling anxious. So you go in and guess what? Your blood pressure is higher. And then you see that reading and then you're stressed out. I was literally at the doctor this morning. So, and I'm waiting for test results to come in guys. So this is a pretty okay, pertinent so conversation. conversation. <laughs> yeah, um, no, that's exactly how that happens. That's exactly right. The other thing is any emotion that we experience, it's, it is, we experience our emotions in our body. 
And so, yes, we're going to have a physiological response to that emotion and that thought and that anxiety. And I bet a lot of people listening can relate to to that scenario. I hear it a lot. And the thing is, on repeat, there are consequences. It affects your quality of life. It affects your physical ability. So, you know, what Nicole was just saying is recognizing your trigger and your response and the result. I mean, there's some awareness there and, and that's not always easy. So having support to walk you through that and be okay to acknowledge these things is pretty, pretty powerful. Um, that's right. Yes, yeah. that's exactly right. The, the other aspect of that is, is feeling safe enough to explore that. I think when we have these, these strong emotions that present themselves, if it's an emotion that, that feels strongly that you don't know what to do with, or you don't want to handle or don't know how to handle it, you're going to avoid it. You're going to avoid it. So stepping into a space with a coach, with someone who understands what you're experiencing and can create this kind of container for you to unpack it in a way that is safe, that is comfortable, that is, you know, slow and empathetic is really, really important. Is that the first step in, in changing or breaking this loop? That is the first step is we have to know what it is that we want to change or shift, right? We want to know what that, that loop is for, for each individual. And then there's three other kind of strategies, if you will, that anyone can explore on their own. And the first is mindfulness or like a breathing exercise. So if we remember anxiety is really rooted in the future, And it takes us out of the present moment. And so when you tap into a mindfulness meditation or really any type of mindfulness exercise, you're bringing yourself, you're centering yourself back into the present moment. And that's what main um, purposes of those breathing exercises or a mindfulness activity, which would really be noticing things around you. In the example of the test results, you're at the doctor's office. If you take a moment and just notice small things in your surroundings, maybe you're outside and you see a tree that has like fall colors changing on the leaves, or you hear cars or people talking, you're really anchoring yourself into that space in that moment. And so that anchor pulls you out of that physical response is what I'm hearing too. It helps to pull you out. Right. And I know I shared this a few episodes ago, but I, I really love the simple breathing of breathing in deep, like you're smelling flowers, and then breathing out like you're blowing out a candle on a cake. It can be that simple, too, to take you out of the loop. Yes. You know, the other thing I really love about that breathing, that really simple breathing exercises, we may not realize it, but sometimes when we're feeling anxious, our chest can tighten and we actually begin to constrict our breath. That one simple exercise brings you back into that present moment where you may not notice that you're holding your breath, but you're holding your breath. I would love to highlight some other common physical symptoms or actions that people can listen to to help identify that anxiety. If you have some common ones to share, because I know me sometimes, I don't even... recognize it until it's too late. 
So what other physical manifestations are common in that Mm -hmm. moment? In that moment, you may feel some, um, I think I mentioned tension. You may notice that parts of your body are starting to heat up or warm up. The chest is pretty common for that. Sometimes the neck or shoulders. Notice any extreme irritability or this like restlessness just over small things. That is definitely a sign. If you have sweating or kind of extreme perspiration coming out, if you notice that, that can also be a sign. And when that comes up, this is hard, but we want to get curious. I think you had mentioned that too, right? (laughs) You want to get curious, do your best to not be judgmental about what's happening. That's definitely hard. Yes. Um, it, It is hard. And that's the part of taking you out of the creating the scenarios, the bad, the doom and gloom, bad scenarios and pausing that, that pause or using those strategies. So share with us, oh, wise one, some of the other strategies that you use that people can do to support themselves when they're feeling those physical symptoms. Mm-hmm. Or we'll go back to that. When you see that lab, that lab test on the calendar, and you know that you're, you're going to get some results. What else can folks mm-hmm. do to support themselves? The second one is reach out and connect with someone. It's very common if we experience anxiety, for many individuals, it's common to isolate themselves, uh, depending on your kind of cultural or social upbringing, feelings of anxiety, or I'll say depression, but sometimes those, those aren't very welcomed in certain cultures, and maybe you grew up learning not to reach out or not to talk about it. So, reaching out and connecting with someone who can be provide that empathetic support for you will be really important. In those moments, those types of individuals can begin to help you recognize what's real and what's not, right? Again, with that anxiety being rooted in the future, they can just have a, have a talk with you and just kind of help help support you in that moment. You know, a lot of times... Me personally, uh, when I reach out to someone, I'll let them know, hey, I'm just looking to kind of say this out loud. I'm not looking for a solution. There's a lot of people in the PKD community who don't speak about their diagnosis, who don't speak about their health. What do you do? There's, Like you said, there's some cultural stuff. There's some families that don't speak about it. Where do you go to then? Somewhere where you don't have to explain it, because that's what I hear a lot. People don't want to have to explain what PKD is. Mm -hmm. I would encourage someone who's in that situation to seek out a safe support group as a starting point. Kind of take an inventory of your existing community. So I'm thinking like if they're part of like a faith-based community, for example, that may also be another safe space to connect with one or two individuals. We're not saying to, you know, announce it to the to the the full congregation, but finding really just one or two individuals that you feel safe with sharing will be really important. I was just even thinking, like I've got my go-to person who I don't have to explain anything to. <laughs> they know what I'm gonna right. say before I'm gonna say it. 
it might be nice to think about, well, if I'm feeling this, who can I reach out to? And as much as social media gets bad reputation, there's a lot of very supportive groups for PKD. And I've seen people mm-hmm. post like, hey, I'm nervous about this or has anyone else experienced this? And I've seen the community envelop them in care. I right. wouldn't underestimate that either. Right. Absolutely. It's a great, a great place. If you're one of those folks that doesn't talk about your PKD or the stress and anxiety that you have that comes with it, reach out to me. You can always ping me and say, hey, I'm feeling this. Or reach out to my community, come into my community, or a suggestion of where you can go because there are a lot. And sometimes you just need direction on, okay, go here. And then there's Mm -hmm. also Nicole who can be in your corner. Little pivot here. What is this third strategy that we can use? This actually segues nice into the third strategy, which is to educate yourself or arm yourself with information. So sometimes a lot of our anxiety, it's rooted in the unknown. It's rooted in what if this happens? What if that happens? There are moments when you can get information. The information can help provide a better um, path for your, for your thinking and your thoughts. When we don't know, our brain is going to make it up. It never fills in the good stuff. That is also a difficult or it's getting better within the PKD community because there has been so many unknowns. There has been no clear direction. And I feel like that is improving so much what we know about PKD, what your options are. I like that aspect of it, uh, kind of put together your plan, your go-to trusted resources before you need them or if you ever need them. That's right. That's right. And going back to them, if someone is feeling anxious about something, go back to those resources. Okay, let me read again what's going to happen here. Or taking in some of the information. I like to remind clients back to like the idea of the, the lab results or test results. Is that is simply data so that you can decide, you can decide what you want to do with that information. And so it works the same way as you're gathering your resources. As you can decide. And when I'm working with clients, a lot of the time it is kind of saying, okay, stop looking at 50 million websites. Stop over Googling and gathering information because that's information overload. It's like, okay, here's your trusted source. You don't need to go outside of that. You don't need to compare yourself to this. We're going to make your plan. Here's your trusted resources. And and here's everything you can eat. Because, you know, I got to mention food. And it's like their shoulders drop. And they're like this huge relief of, okay, I can let that go now. Mm-hmm. So powerful, Right. Just having, saying, reduce, you finding, I love that, Diana, finding your trusted resource because it's really um, about personalizing it for them and what would work for them. Mm-hmm. And folks out there listening, you know, if you've worked with me, I will literally go through your whole question list, your concerns list, your sometimes crazy questions, and I will tell you, take that off your plate, take that off your plate, take that off your plate. <laughs> That's not important. And it's amazing 
that permission to say, that's not important. Don't focus on it. The anxiety goes way down. You know, sometimes I got to do that in my own, I got to do that in my own life a lot. (laughs) That's not important. Take that off your plate. (laughs) Was there anything that I didn't bring up or ask you about that you feel is super important for the PKD community to have as a resource or to know when it comes to addressing their anxiety or acknowledging it? One thing I've learned with, with clients that I've met with is just the importance of validating what they're experiencing, speaking to clients and simply saying things like, I have heard that from so many clients. They go to see the doctor and the doctor gives them a doomsday prognosis right away. For them to know that they're not alone in those feelings, they're not alone in this experience, provides a sense of relief I've seen on their on their faces. And so I I think it's again important to to share with them they're they're not alone. 100%. There's this quote that sticks with me. And oh, I just got the goosebumps thinking about it. One of the women I work with, she said, PKD is a lonely disease. And, mm-hmm. and it just, it doesn't have to be. Yes. Um, and that goes back to having people around you that you don't have to explain anything to. I'm loving this whole conversation. It has me thinking of so many situations with folks you know, they, they feel a pain and it's automatically associated with something's wrong with their kidneys. And then it's all of a sudden, you know, there's problems going on and there's just so many instances within PKD that it's so specific and using these strategies to step out of and break that loop. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly right. So you've worked with a lot of folks within the PKD community. If you were to think of them as a whole, and describe something positive about them, what one word would you use? Resilience comes to mind right away. So resilient. I would definitely use that. And this genuine, I don't want to say softness, but just this kind of really welcoming, loving community of people that I've met. Putting that in one word is hard, but it, it's like this feeling I'm kind of describing as I meet them and talk to them. I'm right there with you because when I first started working with PKD, the community welcomed me in. Resilient was my word too. Amazingly resilient. But my other word is vulnerable because mm, yeah. a lot of the folks that I have worked with are so open with their fears, their anxieties, and they're just so vulnerable that it's it's very powerful, but the work we do is, is next level because of that. So last question for you, what is the most common question you get from the PKDers that you work with? Mm, the most common question I get is probably questions about how, how do I, you know, stop these intrusive thoughts? How do I change how I feel. It's, it's all rooted in, in the how. That's a nice segue for all the folks listening. How do they connect with you? Where can they find you on social media? It's a perfect segue. My, my business name is Mind Growth Garden. So I am on Instagram at that name. You can also reach me just like via email. It's Nicole at mindgrowthgarden.com. 
think we'll share some links with the folks so they can connect directly with me and schedule some time if they're interested in, in talking more. Fantastic. And we're going to drop the links to Nicole's website in the show notes. Also, how to connect with her on Instagram. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation today because that's what it really was. It, it was a conversation. Would love for you to share it with a friend who needs to listen to it or hear it. And then also 100% connect with Nicole. Find out how you can work with her, what she can help you with. Is it okay if I share with them some of the resources you have that they can go check out like today? Yes, please. Mm-hmm. Okay, guys, she's got this fabulous five-day mindset makeover challenge. It's a nice kind of simple guide over a five-day period, and it targets these specific things to help kind of shift and make over your mindset. So there are common things like building a better gratitude practice, inviting more of um, specific positive affirmations into your life and setting a routine for yourself. That's the most important part is we can talk about and learn a lot of strategies and techniques, but we have to set it and make it feasible in our daily routine so we can get the benefits. So there's a lot of how in that. Check it out. (laughs) There's a ton of how. Check it out on her website. Again, we'll link it out. Connect with her. She's fantastic. I've worked with her myself. You couldn't tell by our casual conversation. And that's it for today, folks. Thanks for tuning in to the PKD Dietitian Podcast. 